This is Coda Radio, episode 79 for December 9th, 2013. You're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Mr. Jaja Binks, Chris. Here's Jaja. Hello, Jar Jar. Uh, so, every now and then, for you guys new to the Coda Radio program, Jar Jar shows up when Mr. Dominic is away making himself a drink before the show starts. Doesn't make it back in time. Oftentimes, you know, we need a little buffer. So we brought on a third host. Uh, his contract is $100,000 a month, so it's a little high. That's why we've been selling Jupiter Broadcasting shirts, so we can pay for Jar Jar. So, Jar Jar, if you would let uh, Mike back on the on the uh, radio here. Uh, no! We, Jar Jar, listen, we've talked about this. You've got other things to do, Jar Jar. He's gonna ruin the galaxy. <laughs> uh, I'm back in black. All right. So today's show was brought to us by Hendrix Gin. Nice, nice. And it's uh, it's already it's already doing wonders. I'm drinking. Are you ready for this? I'm not even joking. I'm drinking fermented tea, uh, sparkling fermented uh, tea. So, so you are an old British woman, and I am a um, a gin. I could be British. Yeah. Well, uh, it's an, it's an Asian pear and ginger. It's supposed to help with tummy problems. Oh, yeah, well, I don't really have much of, but I thought I thought, why not be? I mean, I have a lot of them, but I don't have one right now. Why not be proactive, though? Right. Just go ahead. And <laughs> so do you pop like a, do you pop a Pepto every morning? <laughs> just kind of like, well, it could happen, right? So, <laughs> big one now. No, but I, I have been known like if I if I think I've been bad that day in my eating habits that every now and then before I go to bed, I'll be like, eh, I'll just grab a couple Tums just to be careful. So, I mean, I, you know that. OK, so that makes me sound old. Eating uh, or drinking Asian pear and ginger fermented tea makes me sound old. And then you know what else makes me sound old is I fell asleep on the couch last night listening to podcasts. I was, Sorry, I, I, my understanding is that uh, there's actually not going to be any more podcasts. That seems to be the way things are going these days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's clearly a lie, unless you're like very sadly listening to old podcasts and drinking. Uh, I was listening to a podcast that uh, I, I could be so old, but no, it, the hosts are kind of old, but it's just a great old podcast. And I, I love to listen to it. But honestly, you know what it is, is this is how I, I'm, I do not have the stamina I used to have. I after last. So, OK, I get up early. All right, Whoa, Chris, this is a this is a family show. I know. I'll try to keep it clean. I get up early. I start last in the morning and it is balls cold in that garage like 40 degrees and i'm not saying you know whenever i say that on air people are like oh well, whatever it's 20 degrees in my house right now yeah but you're not sitting in it you're sitting in your hot house i'm sitting out in a garage that's actually 40 degrees and when i went out there it was like 32 degrees in the studio okay so right, that so, is cold so things, if it's 20 degrees in your house turn the damn heat on if you tell me you have no heat call the utility because if you're in the united states it is against the law well the studio is in, a, is in a car third bay garage right 
Oh, well, that sucks ass. Yeah, so that's where I'm out at. There's no heat out there, but I have heaters, but it just takes them all morning to get going. So then I do the show. I'm not complaining. I got it. I got it. I got it taken care of. But it, it, what I'm saying is it drains the body, right? And then you go inside and you edit like a madman and get the show posted in record time, like faster than any other podcast network out there. That's cool. And then after that, you got to go make dinner. So you have a big meal because you haven't eaten all day because you've been doing a show and editing and publishing like a madman faster than any other podcast out there. And that's cool. So then you eat. And then I'll tell you what, I crash like a madman. Like, it's turned the lights out, I lay down on the couch, I'm done. And then Amazon calls you and said, Chris, uh, you know all the money you had? <laughs> yeah, we're not giving you that. Yeah, that's all done. Yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. So I'm drinking the fermented tea. You know, I just figure I could be drinking coffee and an energy drink, but my coffee, oh, oh, Mike, my coffee machine broke. My coffee machine. press it, do it. I'm thinking it. about it, but the problem is I've invested heavily in the K-Cup system, you see. I have both. and no, so, so here's how you do it. I, I strategically plan my coffee during the day, okay? Okay. When I get up, um, what's the phrase? I hate the world, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I'm like Darth Sidious before he puts his powder makeup on. Yeah, I'm very yeah. angry. Oh, yeah. I boil a pot of water. I make a full French press and drink it. Then throughout the day when I'm falling asleep on my desk because I am addicted to caffeine – I have a K-cup. I have a Keurig in the office and in my house. So you start, you, you jolt the system with the French press, and then the right. K-cup keeps the, you going. It's like, you, it's like you're getting redoses throughout the day. Well, here's the thing. The, the, the French, sometimes I don't have the K-cups, but the French press is always going to be better coffee, right? Because you lose something through the whole K-cup system. Um, and, and, and frankly, I buy better coffee, you know, whole bean and grind it. Wow, I'm turning into Marco Armand. <laughs> than I could get in the K-cups. I don't know. I mean, see, here's the thing is it's not that I it's not that I don't believe you. It's just that the K-Cup system, first of all, your system, while it sounds good. I think it's wasted effort. It sounds like a little bit of wasted effort because I just need a quick I need a quick caffeine like and I need what I so I'm such a zombie in the morning. I want to go in there, smash the button with my palm and then somehow get a K-Cup out of the box that it comes in from Amazon because I buy everything online. Damn you, Amazon. And I put oh, that in the K-Cup machine, and then I close that K-Cup, and I just push – I walk away. I walk away, and then like so – Let me ask you this. How many cups of coffee do you have in the morning? Dude, that's just the thing. One probably at the right. most. So it, it's more – if you have more than one, it's Maybe more cost-efficient to do it the other way. And I – now, should we go a step further? I have two French presses, Chris, two different <laughs> sizes. Can somebody clip that, please? <laughs> I do. It's so bad. But yeah, I'm uh, I sit there at my MacBook Air and my French press and uh, I go through my email. <laughs> you're making my, to be a real rebel. You're making my phlegm loose. That's so funny. <laughs> God. Damn, dude. OK. All right. That's well, that's bad. good. I mean, you know, so the French press, that's definitely a, vo- a vote up for it. If I if I increase my coffee intake, maybe. See, the problem is, is coffee. Here, here's the problem, though. You, you can't make a French press and then I'm like Folgers coffee. Right. Right. So at some point, yeah, and someone's uh, PMing me in the company chat, and then I read my newspaper, which is true. They make fun of me every day. <laughs> and I do my crossword. Give me, I'll, I'll take an old uh, sweater, Bill Cosby style guy. Wow. No kidding. But if you're going to put all this effort in, you have to buy whole bean and you have to grind it once a week. That's, just, that's not uh, – oh, oh. But you have to buy good coffee. Um, that means leaving the house. Oh. Well, so Chris, don't order it from Amazon. That would be step zero. Yeah. Um, but Wegmans makes a great line of coffee. They do uh, – you can get – you know what? We're not going into this because – no. Sounds like – you know what? We could do a post show on it. 
Yeah, because we're not turning this into the coffee action show. No. But, we, you know, coffee and caffeine are an important aspect of it. That's, you know, we just have yeah. to make sure. It sounds like everybody out there, I think, probably has a caffeine regime if they're on caffeine. So I'll tell you what, a little treat for the lies, live listeners, or the lies listeners. This is working fast. We can, um, at, at the end of the show, do a maybe 10, 15-minute coffee, coffee action stuff. show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, why don't we uh, why don't we read an email? Because we just got a couple this week uh, because we did so much feedback last week, um, which I should mention. We're going to be doing uh, two episodes next Monday on the 16th. We'll do uh, one at our regular time, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And then after that, shortly afterwards, we'll do a second episode. And that second episode, we'll be taking Collins in a kind of a new sense of the meaning. We'll be using Mumble. We won't be using Skype because this using Mumble allows us to do uh, cues. We can mm-hmm. have audio checking. So we have, we'll have uh, folks who are in the Mumble room ahead of the show who will be doing mic checks with you, hopefully. I'm hoping they will be. Usually they are. Um, I'll double check with them. And uh, so, they'll, so that'll help sort of keep things um, flowing. So we'll, have, we'll know when we have people waiting to get in. We can build up a queue. We can have your mics ready. Make sure you don't have like the stream on too. And Chris, can we take a quick detour here? Yeah. Uh, I wonder how you feel. We were doing show planning on the air again, but I wonder if it wouldn't make sense for a devoted listener to go into the subreddit, make a thread with uh, for suggesting topics for the Mumble Show, right? Oh, that'd be great. So instead of you and I just picking something you know on high from the mountain, the community would pick it for us. We would obviously you know Have, pick it, yeah, right? Because I'm I'm sure we're gonna get too many topics, but. You know, I don't know. Avoid- we'll see. I'd, I'd like to see somebody take that challenge on and do that for us because I'm going to forget all about it. it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that would be I mean, great. Let's avoid, it- let's avoid the flamey stuff, right? Let, you know, let's uh, and let's avoid coder quiz hour because I will after the first show. I'm usually two shows I could be hammered, right? I mean, let's be real maybe. Here. Yeah, that that could be great. And then we'll take that episode, the second episode we're recording on the sixteenth, uh, and that and will delete co- it. That will come. <laughs> No, that'll come out Christmas week because we're going to take – we won't have a live show that week, but we'll have a pre-recorded show for you. Yeah, Chris said no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know me. It's hard to get me to do shows. I'm. Uh, you really got to push me. Uh, all right. Well, let's do our first email. It comes in from John, and it was on uh, one of your favorite feedback topics from last week. Continuing that thread, he says, uh, Dear Chris and Michael, first of all, thanks for all the great content. I'm writing this in response to the feedback last week about automated UI testing with Jason's brother. Now, remember, we had quite an upset to this. He says, I believe you guys and possibly Jason misunderstood his brother. As far as I can tell, this is a common practice in enterprise shops. Well, at least the two DOD contracts I've worked for. Uh, What he means is the Excel spreadsheet is basically many sheets listing the functional and non-functional requirements that are broken. Uh, Then, on other sheets, the developers write out steps for testing so the Q&A can perform the UI tests. This is much easier than creating multiple tech stocks or having the QA refer to each test case within the bug tracking software. Hmm. Uh, These tests are not for bugs. They are for the requirements. Well, at least normally. Bugs are tracked elsewhere with procedures for testing being written there. The Excel sheet uh, allows QA to more importantly... For the uh, and allows Q and A, and more importantly for the clients to follow, so they can see that things were are going as expected. I can see it yeah, as kind of being so, an abstracted report. So, so the the crux of the issue here is um, did the writer from last week misunderstand what his brother was doing? Right. So, if at face value they were doing Q A in Excel, everything we said stands, and it's still the craziest crap you could ever do. Yeah. If this guy's right, which, to be honest, I've seen plenty of these Excel sheets too, and it is a pretty common practice, it's something you get towards the beginning of a project or towards the beginning of a phase, right? 
it's and then you if there's QA items, you put them in a bug tracker. And I don't know if it's so important because it's not like we're going to call last week's writer's brother and be like, hey, is this how it happened? <laughs> there are shops that actually try to do QA in Excel, right? I've heard of it. It happens. Um, and pretty much everything we said against that still stands. Now, Chris, are you feeling positive? Sure. Let's say for the benefit of the doubt that that's exactly what happened, right? That the writer from last week had a slight misunderstanding of what was happening at his brother's shop. Mm-hmm. Well, that's less horrible, right? And that's actually not that bad. Um, having said that, I, I still think QA is a big enough topic. And I would like to note that also no one has come in with any good suggestions for automated QA, right? Oh, yeah. We didn't really get any emails with that. Right. So I made a comment and somebody I me about it. Like you said this was your holy grail and you didn't talk about it at all. And that's true, uh, which is our main topic for today. But. I, I, we got a few of these emails, Chris, and I almost think it's not that important. Even if the writer was wrong, mm. it doesn't matter, right? Because we don't know the name of the company, and even if we did, we wouldn't share it. The idea that someone somewhere is probably doing that is still awful. And Laser Mike in the chat says, QA, what's that? And that's exactly what I'm talking Uh-oh. about. <laughs> no, but let's carry on. But okay. I, Yeah, I mean, that's a good email, and that is true. A lot of larger enterprise shops do do requirements in the beginning via Excel. All right, so it'll be a little tease to our main topic. Uh, Our next email comes in from Jim, and man, it's a, it is, it is, whoa, it is one of the longest emails we've gotten in a while that actually made it into the show. I'll tell you that. So uh, why don't we uh, take our first break here, because I got something great to tell you about. Now, Mike, did you know uh, that there's this great company out there that takes uh, cloud hosting and makes it simple and puts you in control? And did you know that company is called DigitalOcean? They're my best friends. I, I, well, that makes sense. DigitalOcean is great. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, it's simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy to spin up cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 per month. You get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. The interface is simple. It's intuitive. It's really well done. They have a droplet system where you can deploy a droplet. You can create your own droplets and back them up. You can have snapshots. You can destroy a droplet. I have an Arch droplet right now that runs BitTorrent Sync as well as a couple other services for the network, but BitTorrent Sync is the big one, and that helps me distribute out uh, to the East Coast files that I push out through the Unfilter show. And this is such a nice system for me because I don't have to worry about bandwidth just going absolutely crazy in that situation because my $5 a month plan is in a, it is a qualified cost. I know exactly what I'm looking at there. And I can easily upgrade to the next step up and the pricing structure is very straightforward. And we've got a special deal for you. In fact, if you want to try out DigitalOcean, and I really recommend it. There's so many things you can do when you have your own system up in the cloud that you control. When you combine that with DigitalOcean's SSD speeds, it is, I mean, it really does make a difference. And for only $5 a month, that's a great deal, but we've got an even better deal. Listeners of Coder Radio can get a $10 DigitalOcean credit by using the promo code Coder Radio December. Coder Radio December gets you a $10 promo, and that will get you the $5 system for two months for free. And you can just check it out and see what I've been talking about here because it is. I was, I, I kind of felt a little embarrassed that I hadn't 
really looked into it as much as I had until Mike started poking me and the timing worked out great. Mike started poking me to look at this and then DigitalOcean contacted us and said, hey, we love your show. And I'll tell you what, it has been a match made in heaven. Not only have we heard from tons of people in the community who have tried out DigitalOcean and loved it, but we've also heard great things about their customer service. And in fact, they really care about their community. DigitalOcean offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site and users can submit articles to the community and get paid $50 per published piece. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. Easy to use, simple, super straightforward uh, droplet system where you pick your size, you pick your OS. They've got Fedora, Arch, Ubuntu. They've got pre-created images that allow you to deploy things with the LAMP stack already configured, with Docker already set up. They provide hourly pricing if you want to just try something out for a little while. They support two-factor authentication if you want to make sure your account's locked down. They give you root access. They have a great API. The list goes on and on. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERADIODECEMBER to check out to get that $10 credit. Then you can try that $5 machine for two months, or you can go get the $10 machine, which gives you even more power. For a month. It's pretty nice. So thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. I've really been loving my machine. In fact, I might even get another one. I don't know. I've been thinking. I've been deciding, should I upgrade my main one or do another yeah, one? Yeah, so, you know, I've been wanting to ask you. I mean, this is going to be another we don't follow the topic radio, but that's okay. So you're running an Arch server? Yeah. Now, hey, does your family know about your drug problem? <laughs> Well, it's kind of an experiment. Uh, I I am straight up just kind of seeing how it goes because I've never done. Yeah, it I mean, what's the stability on that baby? I mean, I'm, you know, I, I I like my things purple, brown, or orange. Right. So my servers are all of the Ubuntu flavors. I see. Whenever I have ran a Linux server for an extended period of time, I have always ran into a situation where I want packages newer than what it's available in the repo. And in this case, it's not so bad right now, but I want. Uh, so it's a real minimal install. So what ends what ends up rolling is really just a lot of the base Linux utilities that have been around for 20 years, right? All right. So not to sound like a developer jerk, but why don't you just compile the new package from source? So the Arch. So the, the one. So one thing that Arch really, really has going for it is this Arch user repository system where. Somebody out there just creates a BitTorrent sync uh, Arch package build file for it, puts it up on the Arch user repository, and then with one command on my on my file ser- on my uh, BitTorrent sync server now, but on the Arch server, I I packer s bit bt sync, and I from then on the operating system keeps that up to date in sync with the BitTorrent sync project itself. So when they issue a new update, I automatically the package manager automatically uh, once that's been submitted to the AUR. Pa- downloads that and packages up and installs it on my system for me. And then I can manage it like I can any other package, even though in some cases it's literally checking out the code from the BitTorrent Sync's GitHub repository and pulling it down to my system for me. So I can get the... And what's nice about that is BitTorrent Sync's under a lot of active development, and the new versions fix little wiggly problems that I run into as I bring the system up to scale. Uh, Interesting. So it's kind of like uh, like, for example... On my system here at my house that's on my fiber connection, that's on an Ubuntu box, that's now two revs behind, and it's still suffering from a bug that forces me to have to restart the BitTorrent sync daemon every couple of days. Where on my Arch server, I've already had that patch fixed, and I don't have to bother with it, which is nice, because now it just sits up there in that DigitalOcean droplet, and I don't even have to log in and, and restart the service every couple of days like I had been having to. Now I'm still waiting for that package to show up on the Ubuntu box. So, you know. Okay, if so, you're not doing, if you're not, if you don't need to follow something like that, then it's not really as, as important. Yeah, I think we're using a different use case. Is really yeah, what exactly. it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, because my my way of using it for like you know is, hosting a website and things like that, you yeah, don't really need your web server change. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also get ready for your ping sound Docker. 
Oh, Dogger. Mm. You want me to ding it? Uh, you should ding it. You love him, Docker, yeah. Docker, I'm, I'm a, Docker I'm a also Docker helps, fan. though, right? Because because Docker is a self-contained, isolated environment, that doesn't change. So you so so that was also – Docker is actually the other thing that kind of pushed me into doing Arch was I felt like if I ever needed to spin something up on there, like I was saying I might start another server or I might just do it on the Arch server. If I did it on the Arch server, I would do an Ubuntu Docker instance and put Zimbra inside that. So Zimbra would live in this little Ubuntu pocket on my Arch server. Right. And then I it think makes that sense. Sort of I mean, it's definitely, it definitely sounds doable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. All right. So that's, that's, there, so you go. that was infrastructure radio for you. Little infrastructure. Uh, let's get to uh, Jim's super long email. I might, I don't know. I might, as I go, I might truncate. Depends. Might want to summarize. Yeah, it is a bit long. It depends on my ADD. We'll see how long my ADD holds out. Uh, so he writes, hi, Chris and Michael. Uh, great show. I wanted to send in some thoughts. Thanks for this book suggestion on who owns the future from the last week's show. Ironically, now that I'm listening to the book, I got I got from Audible, which is an Amazon company. At the beginning of this week's Coder Radio, you discussed how JB got screwed by Amazon. That really sucks. And I think your prior book pick maybe outlines why that might be happening. <laughs> uh, regarding Michael's complaint about KitKat disabling auto-rotate on his Moto X, I did not experience that with my Nexus 10. I did, however, find that the Flash had been effectively disabled due to some Android APIs being removed. Wow. Uh, fortunately, I was able to find a workaround after a few days. It requires one to load a hacked Flash client and the Dolphin browser, but as I only use my Nexus 10 as a media consumption device, I tried it, and it's been working fine so far. In fact, I don't know why, but Dolphin seems to give me better interface to HTML5 sites than Firefox did. You guys were discussing whether the dev should try to ensure a given app site or whatever can scale. Michael's point was that the business folks didn't want to pay for it because often these projects fail to deliver revenue. I agree with Michael. One should not write code to support a need that does not yet exist. This is one example of Yangi, you ain't gonna need it principle. Uh, having said that, experienced devs will design a system in a modular sort of way, hopefully that allows one to extend said app site or whatever without too much redesigner work. Frameworks can help or hinder scaling depending on how they are designed or used. I really agree there. Um, that can sometimes be a huge point of contention. Well, that's I mean, that's why you would use a framework to begin with. Regarding Java IDEs, I use Eclipse. It's got its flaws, but it's free and it gets the job done for me. Uh, Michael rightly disparaged the spreadsheet-driven manual testing scenario described in the email that it was read on air. If I've often worked in environments without any automated test in the past, and even though a business may be very dedicated and have good QA folks testing its apps, manual testing is a huge time and money sink and is less reliable. Far better for devs teams to write automated unit integration and end-to-end tests from their perspective and then have Q&A teams do the same for end-to-end tests from a QA perspective. Of course, automated tests require commitment to quality from the business, and they do require significant investments to develop. I'm a big fan of TTD, although I find it difficult to do in its pure form. But I understand how a business may not be willing to front the money from an unrealized revenue standpoint. However, in my humble opinion, any established business that generates significant revenue from its software is shooting itself in the foot if they refuse to support automated tests. Uh, automated tests are not only allow for developers to work faster, uh, but also good tests serve as one of the best forms of documentation of what code is supposed to do. Great point. In fact, that man gets a ding right there. Uh, of course, uh, test code requires maintenance and it's useless without it. Great point. But if well-written, used properly, and maintained, automated tests accelerate feature delivery while ensuring quality. This has gotten longer than I'd hoped, but thanks for the show and keep up the good work. <laughs> well, thanks, Jim. 
So I th- I agree with a lot of his points there. Seems like the QA thing did resonate with a few folks. Very interesting, Mr. Dominic. Very uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think in, in particular his points about Eclipse are interesting. I mean, obviously it's very popular. Obviously it's free and mm-hmm. it has a, a, a nice, um, really a huge library of extensions. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the main QA topic, because I know that's really kind of where we're leading now, I, I just yeah. wanted to do, this is just Chris interjecting here for a second. I wanted to say happy birthday to Admiral Grace Murray Hopper. She was born in New York, December 9th, 1906. She died in Arlington, Virginia on January 1st, 1992. She's a pioneer computer scientist. She worked in the U.S. Navy as a, she became a rear admiral eventually. Uh, she was one of the first programmers um, and developed the first computer for a computer programming language. And uh, she was uh, she conceptualized the idea of machine independent programming languages, which led to the development of COBOL. And one of the first, mo- which was obviously one of the first modern programming languages, she is credited with popularizing the term debugging for fixing computer glitches, which is actually inspired by removing a moth from the computer. So uh, since today is her birthday, I just wanted to play a quick clip of her talking a little bit about her experience with the first computer on the Letterman show years ago. Well, it's a, a tradition in your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, and, and, but before that, you also... I was a college professor. Yeah. And you worked on the original computer in this country, right? I was very fortunate. The Navy owed me to the first big computer in the United States, mm-hmm. Mark I at Harvard. It was called Mark I at Harvard? Mm-hmm. Now, in those days, the thing was... 51 feet long, 8 feet high, and 8 feet deep. And, and that was the pocket model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, Right. Um, you could put it on a little tiny corner of a chip now. Yeah. Now, wh- how did you know so much about computers then? I didn't. How it did was you? The first one. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I had to learn a lot of things. One day, Commander Aiken came around to my desk and says, "You're going to write a book." Mm-hmm. I said, "I can't write a book." He said, "You're in the Navy now." Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book. You had to write a book, and that was outlining the entire... Manual of the computer. Yeah, yeah. What a process. Yeah. Now, I know nothing about computers, and you know everything about computers. You're... They've called you... Not everything. All I can. Yeah. But is there anybody who would know more? Well, I expect some of these good youngsters coming along know more. But you're known as the queen of software. Is that right? (laughs) More or less. Mm -hmm. Now, you know... Quite a bit about that. Uh, that that's a pretty great clip, and uh, I'll put the whole YouTube video in the show notes. It's about a twenty-minute interview, and it's pretty funny. And pretty soon after that, she starts uh, giving uh, Dave a visualization of how fast light can travel over wires, and how she had to figure out how, uh, how long the how short the wires had to be in order to get the speeds to what the admirals were asking her to get. It's a pretty interesting discussion. But you know, it it just kind of made me think of like the, how much the software industry and the whole computer industry really stands on the shoulders of these giants that as we move forward into mobile and all these things really are kind of being forgotten. Not to be a downer about it, but I just think it's nice every now and then to reflect on some of the folks that got us where we're at. There yeah, go. no, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of reading the, you know, the computer history books, um, mm-hmm. even the more modern ones. I, I think, what was it, uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I yep. suggested, uh, uh, what was it, Microsoft Reinvigorator or Microsoft That's Reinvented. Yep. I also suggested a book about Alan Turing about a month ago. I mean, I've, I've, I, if, if a new biography or a new book comes out in this field, I usually read it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff because you get some good perspective. And it's, it's funny how so many of the problems we face now were also problems they faced just in, you know, maybe different names and different descriptions and slightly different conditions, but yeah, pretty cool stuff. All right, well, before we get into the Q&A topic, I want to uh, thank Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider. 
And uh, Ting is no contracts and no early termination fees. Go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started and go check them out. You only pay for what you use. So if you don't use your phone a ton, you don't have to pay too much. And when you do need that phone for an important business trip or calls or just yakking with friends, you only end up paying for what you use. It's a brilliant system. It's great for developers and teams, too, because you can have multiple lines. You can manage it all through the Ting dashboard, and they all share the same set of pooled minutes, and you only pay for each line's usage. On top of that, Ting makes it super easy to move devices around reactivate and deactivate them so you've got multiple android devices you need to test things got it i just got my nexus 5 it's awesome on the ting network no contracts no early termination fees i own that phone and that's just how it should be so go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started and try out their savings calculator going on for just a little bit in fact you can always find out what ting's up to by visiting their blog uh, and just recently, they've had a uh, Starbucks coffee giveaway. Speaking of coffee, Mike, uh, and you go find out once you go to coderadio.ting.com, go to ting.com slash coffee. And if you're an a- yeah, this is how you do it. And if you're an AT&T or Verizon customer and you check out their uh, cost calculator, you can win a cup of coffee, I believe it is. I'm not sure if it applies to everybody or just certain AT&T Verizon customers, but you can find out more over on their coffee page. That's a pretty cool system, and I think it's only going on for a few more days, so you got to act really soon. Go check out their devices. Check out their rates. You're going to be really impressed. Ting also includes hotspot, tethering, voicemail, picture messaging, roaming. All of that is included. Caller ID in your Ting service. Yeah, I said hotspot and tethering. Absolutely. You only pay for what you use. And if you use the data when you're hotspot, then you just pay a data rate for it. You don't have to have a special plan that it gives you tethering access. And if you sneakily do it, the carrier doesn't track you down and secretly bill you afterwards with some insane overage charge. It's just, if you need it, just turn it on and use it. It's not a big deal. They've got all kinds of great devices and new devices coming too. So go to coderadio.ting.com and a huge, huge thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Mr. Dominic, when we say Q&A, this to me seems like one of those topics that, uh, man, this could go like in a lot of different directions. And I I wondered if you had kind of a starting spot with the Q&A topic. Yeah, so I do. Uh, You know, I think Q&A is one of those things where everybody goes through it, right? I mean, I think, was it last week or the week before I criticized past me for my Rails love? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that was last week. (laughs) And I think this is one of those things where everybody goes through this at some point. And I can pretty honestly say I have used most web-based QA systems that are currently available. Um, I mean, I've used right now. I'm using the hot sexiness that is GitHub, but of course, I'm already hitting the problem of as a company that uses a lot of small projects and a few big ones. I need more repos, right? And I'm currently paying a lot of money for GitHub, or what I feel like is a lot of money. Um, But one of the advantages of a service like GitHub is it ties the QA process to the source code repository. You can reference issues in the commit notes easily. Having said that, I've used, also used things like, you know, QA boards. I don't know if you remember those, Chris. Mm, Yeah. You just put post-it notes on a, on a, uh, a cork board. You don't still use those? No, not Not even like a small, like little micro version at your desk? No, no, I've given up on that. I'm, uh, I found Jesus, shall we say? Um, most recent, I've used Fog Bugs, which actually I like a lot, and I'm considering going back to. Oh, I got to go check that out. Is it FogBugs.com? Yeah, it's actually by the guys at Fog Creek. Yeah, let me let me get a URL for the chat room. Um, FogCreek.com/slash/FogBuzz. Does that sound right? I think that might be right. Yep, FogCreek.FogBugs. Yep, or slash. I'm sorry. I will put a link in the show notes. I mean, it is 
here's my Mac iBuy is coming out. It is definitely software defined by uh, or designed by Windows people. Oh. But it is very effective, and it has just about everything you'd possibly want to use. So there's like a million dropdowns and ten ways to do everything? Yeah. Yeah. It is willing to do anything you want it to do, period. That's kind of nice, though, if you need that flexibility. Right. Now, here's the issue, though, right? So let's take a look at GitHub. Because, you know, QA is very important, but QA also comes down to, you know, in a lot of ways, money. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, because it takes even if it's just you doing the Q and A, it takes time. Right, and one of the issues I'm having with GitHub is I'm you know I'm using one of the uh, corporate organization plans. I'm currently at the limit of ten repos, and I think that's fifty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Now, if I wanted, I'm sorry, I'm at bronze, it's twenty five. So if I wanted to go up to silver, it's fifty bucks a month for twenty repos. Then <sighs> to fifty is a hundred. Now the issue is a consulting company like mine does a lot of um, large projects, but also a lot more small ones that might last two to three months. And the issue on GitHub is if you get rid of the repo, they don't let you archive it. So unless you write a script or do something manually to export the data, you lose all that QA data, all that process data. Uh, Yeah, that is pretty – yeah, that's balls. Yeah, which is why in the past I was using um, uh, Bitbucket. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is one issue, and about about every quarter, I end up bouncing to a new solution because none of them are quite right. Um, you know, for my needs, what I'm really looking for is something that obviously, you know, fingertip is is run by a developer, right? So I really want something that ties into source control. I want to be able to reference issues from commits and not have to do any kind of weird incantations in the commit. Right. That just seems like it's just going to keep things sane. Right. I don't want to have to share SSH keys all over the place between two different services. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Because that means anybody who I work with would have to do it too. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I'd have to do it on every machine I have because that's how SSH works. How it rolls. So this issue has uh, kind of been obnoxious for me. I mean, in a lot of ways, GitHub is exactly what I want. It's visual, it ties into the source code, it has good email preferences. But it's probably twice as expensive as I would want it to be. Hence why it's probably twice expensive, right? Right. They're, they know that they have sort of zeroed in on those pain points because they're developers themselves. Yeah. And they've done a, they've done a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. 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 But more, more than just the tools is the process, right? I mean, you mentioned QA dense, and uh, maybe you could paint us a picture about that. A QA developer? Den. Oh, Den. You would mention that last week. Oh, it's a dark place. Mm. Yes, I could tell you a little about that. So just to paint this, since this is a theater of the mind, picture a very long, narrow room with a couple of windows at the end of this long room and then just the cheapest uh, Office Max, like one one monitor, one computer desk, but they have two monitors on these desks. Uh, just the cheapest Office Max desk you can possibly get uh, with cheap chairs, and then they just line the walls with them. And then what they do is they go out and now I don't I don't think this is how everybody works, but this is unfortunately probably how a lot of places work. Is they hire temp contractors who, in some cases, it's good. They're just average people who maybe like the most they use the computer for is Facebook at the most. And now they sit them down in front of this really advanced web application that's used in an advanced. Uh, architecture area of the industry and they say have at it Haas could you test these things for us so they get very 
very noob um, impressions. And then it takes a process of building up that QA person for, you know, sometimes the process of a couple of years, really, depending where they're starting from. But at the same time, they're just temp contract workers. So they come and go at such a high rate. And not only that, but the company doesn't invest in the computers very well in this den. So the computers are constantly in a state of failure. So they're constantly being swapped around. As one fails, you swap it around. And so the, the, the general settings are not exactly the same every single time. The browser might have a different extension for some reason because the last user installed it. And all this kind of stuff. So it's this very chaotic area. And you sit down and you have them. They have a, a – this is actually a LibreOffice document that they pull up. It has all of the things they need to check for that day in their home directory. And then they have a web app that they log into and they click – acknowledged when they have when they have checked that aspect of it and then once they have said acknowledged it then moves on the back end whatever thing they have just Q&A'd into a staging area that then an rsync script grabs and pushes out to the website within you know 15 to 20 minutes so these people as they check stuff once it goes through them it gets published to the web so it's kind of like the last stage before the public sees it and then of course if there's a problem uh, the, the the process of pulling that back is much clunkier than it should be. And so then that person gets berated for missing it. And it's like it creates this culture of like sometimes somebody way up in the chain can screw up. And, and it's actually like their fault. The person that maybe scanned the original uh, drawing from the architect, maybe it's their fault. But the QA person ends up taking the blame because they're the one that pushed OK, even though it's probably too, expecting too much of them. So it's this really weird environment where they eventually just get weared down and they just kind of check out of the process. And so the quality begins to decline. That's the QA, Dan, Mike. <laughs> well, that was uh, horrifying. It's negative in the freedom dimension. <laughs> no kidding, right? Yeah, so automated uh, – and there's no – in this environment I'm thinking of there is zero automated UI testing. There's not even really a solid standardization on just straight-up QA testing, let alone anything automated. It's pretty bad. Um, and have you ever worked in a situation that's that bad? Uh, a long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's essentially like a big waste of money. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, no one should have ever done ever, but still. Yeah. It still happens. Um, you know, I had one thing before we get off the GitHub topic. It's not totally, it's a little tangential. Uh, will you allow it? It's, it's, uh, go for it. Okay. It's, it's a little, um, Visualization. It actually also is a Stack Overflow, but GitHub is the one that I actually found to be more interesting. And uh, I don't know if you saw this. It came out. I think I don't know when it came out, but I saw it hitting like Hacker News over the weekend. Um, so if you go to this, it's uh, it's it's uh, ekisto.sq.ro. I'll have a link in the show notes. And it is a visualizer of GitHub as cities. And it is, you, so you have a world map, and then as you zoom in, oh, whoa, we zoomed in a lot. As you zoom in, you see buildings, and these buildings are the different projects on GitHub, and the taller the building, the larger the project. So you can, you can navigate around GitHub, uh, sort of like, like here's, uh, here's, tw- oops, here's Twitter's repo, so I can zoom in on Twitter, and uh, I can get information about Twitter. And it's this really interesting way to sort of visualize the different projects on GitHub and sort of their overall importance to GitHub, in a sense. I don't know if that's putting it right, but it uh-huh. is... It's definitely it's like interesting to see like these communities represented and like it's also you have then you have like little cities where they cluster around a project, um, which is really kind of interesting. So you can see there's lots of little affiliated buildings down here and it actually puts the uh, 
GitHub uh, it puts the uh, users' uh, avatars on top of the building, so you can see like, <laughs> and you can query who they are and, and get their information. Um, uh, pretty neat stuff. It's pretty cool visualization of of GitHub, and it shows you. I, in this weird way, it's like back in the '80s when you would fly around inside the computer mainframe as like a city. Well, now right. we have it, now we have it for real. We can fly <laughs> we can fly around GitHub like it's the '80s and uh, have at it. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, and so, I, so some that's actually kind of creepy, but some some real time uh, feedback from the chat. So I'm taking another look at GitLab. GitLab. Yes. Let me go there. Which is like self-hosting GitHub. Oh, oh, okay. And there is a DigitalOcean ready image I could use. Oh, really? Now this is starting to get interesting. Hmm. And this will cost me a lot less money. And it has... Zane is not going to be happy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's used by 25,000 organizations. Make that 25,001. GitLab offers subscriptions for support including consulting and cloud services for GitLab. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of the Red Hat model. Looking at the pricing. <laughs> you can use it for free. You can run it on their cloud or your own. Um, but if you want a support contract, you pay. I'd be really curious if you do try it, how it turns out. I'll put a link to this in the show notes, too. Yeah, I think we might try this, because this is um, certainly um, anything on GitHub. I like GitHub a lot, but I feel like their pricing... You know, obviously, CodeJournal, a lot of enterprises use it for enterprise stuff with their very strange unwillingness to upgrade their enterprise version of GitHub. Mm-hmm. And it works fine for them because at that point, really, the, they have like one or two big projects, right? They're hosting it on their servers for security reasons, uh, but they're going through all the hassle. GitHub on the cloud, so to speak, like the subscription, makes a lot of sense if you're a startup and your main business is one product. Once you need a lot of repos, it's not that 50 bucks a month is terribly expensive. It's just that compared to all the other alternatives, it gets really expensive. Well, so like, you know, take that client I just described. You know, they're not right. using they're not using GitHub. They have SVN that they're checking in and out of on their own local file server. Um like if you walked into a scenario like that, well that's horrible. Where would you even tell them to start? That's what, like that was the challenge I ran into. It was yeah. like I could recognize the problem. But I didn't really know. I mean, first of all, it was entrenched. Like, it was like 10 years of doing it this way. So I didn't know how to even tackle this problem and even tell them where to start to make it better. I mean, like, I'm seeing spreadsheets. I'm seeing completely, like, disorganized, no standardization. I guess maybe that would be where to start, right? Is standardize what you test? Yeah, I I think you would have to have a procedure in place. I mean, I hate to lean on process, but... It ultimately has to be processed, right? I mean, a few things make this easier. Daily builds, right? Is um, it is it less of a problem if it's just that? What about the scenario where it's just a one developer? Do you still think a process is needed? Do you? I think, do you, I, I think the fewer developers you have, the more of the process you need. Oh, there's there's a lot of. Uh, I think it's harder to self police than to police others, right? Well, that's a good point. I mean, uh, how willing? I mean, even myself, I'm very willing to look the other way on something of mine, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're or, a little maybe, more critical of others' work. Right, maybe it's more innocent that you've just been staring at this thing for a week and you don't even notice anymore. Hmm. That's a good point. That's kind of the yeah. opposite of what I was thinking, but when I, when I am honest with myself, I think you're right. Um, and so I, guess, so, so I guess there's never a point where you shouldn't have some sort of testing procedure. 
Uh, I don't think there is. I, I think you always want to have a testing procedure. Yeah. I just, to me, the reason why I sound like I'm, the reason why I'm trying to sound like I'm dancing around this is because if I was going to start a software project, that is not on the top of my list of things I want to worry about. Right. Okay. I don't, I want to, I want to be creative. I want to focus on the thing that I want to create. I've got an idea and I want to execute on that as fast as possible. And I really don't want to be thinking about that because it's just me. It's just some small project. Maybe I've got a couple hundred users, you know? Right. Uh, so you th- think even in that scenario? I think you have to. I mean, I, I have, even for Code Journal, I have a, a procedure that's written down that I just always follow. Hmm. Okay. All right. I know. I'm turning into a PM. It's scary. Well, I, 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 take, it, I take it to heart. I'd be curious, too, because we, we, want, we want lots of feedback uh, from the Coda Radio audience for the next couple episodes since we're uh, doing a double ender next week. So uh, send in your thoughts on this topic, coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or hit the contact link at the top of our website, or any other topic that we've talked about. It doesn't have to be this one. But this one seems to be a, one that the audience has an interest in. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Dominic, I have uh, something awesome I'd like to tell you about. Uh, do you mind if I uh, interrupt for a second and tell you? Go, about? go, go. So GoDaddy.com, ladies and gentlemen, a longtime sponsor of the Coder Radio program. And GoDaddy has a really awesome deal. And I want to encourage a lot of you out there to take advantage of this that maybe are not properly managing their presence online, their project, their business, their family, whatever it is where you want to own that name online, you want to have a space when people find you as the authoritative destination for the project, the person, the place, whatever it is, uh, Coder Radio has a special deal right now brought to you by GoDaddy. It's their new website builder. It makes it easy to create your own website, put your business online, and find new customers. You can choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you are on your way. Website builder even includes a free domain hosting and 24-7 support. I said free domain! If you use the promo code WSB. Eight website builder eight WSB eight when you check out it is go time my friends so visit GoDaddy.com and enter the promo code WSB eight to get the website builder for only one dollar per month for twelve months some limitations do apply so go check out their site for more details on that they have uh, a really new nice fancy integrated system that gives you a really simple straightforward UI to build a page that actually looks good something that is desperately needed for every business now. If I ever go into a business that doesn't have a website, it feels like I'm in the 80s all over again. Even a, even for the hairdresser place now, they have their own websites, right? A restaurant, a project, what a, a software, an app, whatever it is, don't let your only listing be the Google Play Store, okay? Don't do that. Don't be that guy. That doesn't work out for you in the long run. And if anything ever happens, you need a place for your users to go. Website builders, a dollar per month to build you a decent website that has SEO optimization and spins off a mobile version. That's pretty cool. So go use the promo code WSB8 when you check out. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. I, I had one more little sneaky topic I was going to mention. Unless Did you have more on the QA? I, I do, okay. uh, just a little bit. I mean, I don't want to go too long today. But So one of the things I've been searching for is automated UI QA testing, right? Oh, sure, yeah. This has been my holy grail. And I'm afraid it doesn't exist. <sighs> I was worried you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, because especially doing a lot of front-end work, no one ever complains about things they don't understand, right? Mm. This has been a recurring thing. Mm. Um, and I just wish there was a way to test the correct shade of blue. So you've heard like what Google's done, right? Where they've dynamically generated the pages uh, with different shades of colors, and then they've watched the users to see how they interact with the page, and then they... So, yeah, that's not quite what I mean, though, right? I mean more, we have a spec, let's make sure we've matched that spec. Oh, okay, okay. Rather than having someone manually go through. Yeah. 
and check the hex codes, right? Hmm. How would you envision something like that working? I don't think it can. I really don't. I mean, I, I've used a lot of tools that claim to be able to do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they can't. Okay. So it's, it's, if you know of a tool that can do that on any platform, please email it in, and I would love to see it. Uh, but for now, I, I just don't think of it, that it's a real thing. <laughs> I, love, I hope somebody proves us wrong, but that was what I yeah. feared, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been chasing after this for years now, and, and I'm, you know, people make big promises all the time, right? I mean, I've gotten free trials of all kinds of enterprise testing suites, and they all – anybody can test an HTTP response, right? I, I don't need your, your framework to do that. <laughs> uh, I need to test that this – you know, these images are the right aspect ratio, that the colors are right, that it adapts to the resolution well, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, let us know if you do. I have a – I kind of have an unrelated question to that. Um do you have, do you have like, uh, like when you buy a new computer, do you have a, like a benchmark you use to like assess the performance increase that you've gotten? And this is like, yep. like a test that you use. And it's a totally wrong and totally unscientific <laughs> one. Okay. What is it? How fast it takes Dropbox to resync all my stuff. Really? Yeah. But that could be dependent on Dropbox. Right. So at this point, the limiting factor is bandwidth. Now I will say that before I switched to SSDs, it wasn't bandwidth, right? Right. Oh gosh. Right, it was it was right speed. Like Dropbox just owns your drive for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I can sync a full Dropbox, which is which is a lot. Yeah, I don't know how big my Dropbox is, but it's big. Uh, oh, dude, mine is ridiculous. Yeah, and I can still use the computer. In the past, that would have been unthinkable, right? I would have had to set up Dropbox, change the power settings to be max overnight. I have a hundred. So check this out. I have a hundred ninety three gigabytes used in Dropbox right now. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Where am I? <laughs> It's, and I use BitTorrent Sync for a ton of stuff. So that just shows uh, you. So I only have 56 used on this computer, but I don't sync everything. Yeah, every so I don't sync everything on this computer yeah. either. <laughs> I can't because I use SSDs now, and I don't want I don't want 40% of my SSD going to Dropbox. Well, I have 20 gigs of stock graphics assets that I've purchased, mm-hmm. just PSD files, that mm-hmm. I don't even sync to any computer. They're just in the Dropbox cloud, and I pull them down when I need them via um, you know just a normal oh, yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, like some some of those image sites will actually save directly to your Dropbox, which is kind of neat. I don't know if you've seen that, but I think like Shutterstock is one. You yeah. instead of downloading, you just have it saved to Dropbox. That's so handy. And see, my where where I have found Dropbox because it so reliably syncs quickly for so long now that it has become indispensable in my editing workflow because all of my assets can have the same exact file path on every computer. So I can open up Final Cut on any computer, and it's always slash users slash Chris F slash Dropbox, and it just works everywhere. It's be- it's brilliant. It's beautiful. So I mean, I've been replacing things with BitTorrent Sync, but the one thing I, the biggest thing I haven't been able to get rid of is my editing assets because it just works mm-hmm. so damn well. So I was the reason I was asking about the uh, computer benchmark thing is because I have got the System seventy six Leopard Extreme, like their big Mac Pro competitor, in my office right, right now. Um, and I haven't turned it on yet because I'm going to do it after the show because I'm worried that I'll want to buy it. And I'm just trying to curious how you quantify, like, when is it time? So I, I just wondered what I was wondering what I should throw at it to see if it really improves my, my workflow speed. And Dropbox, I'll probably put that on there, but I don't feel like that's going to benchmark it anymore. I don't know. That's my challenge for this week is to punish the crap out of that machine. 
It's all punish the machine. Interesting. Yeah, I got a, uh, I got a, I got a book pick for you. You want to hear it? Let's hear it. We've been doing book picks uh, for the holiday season, and uh, a lot of you out there probably think that I'm just some sort of like on some sort of anti Amazon tear. Uh, and I'll tell you, actually, I found this book because uh, Amazon had their big um, uh, CBS uh, 60 Minutes drone special uh, the Sunday before Cyber Monday. And to me, as somebody who follows the media quite closely, it was pretty obviously timed, right? Uh, and I think right. part of it was because they were trying to change a narrative that had come out. Um, this book was released uh, on October 15th, and uh, the Bezos family really doesn't like the what it portray how it portrays Amazon. I actually haven't found it to be that damning, so I think it's interesting they've re- reacted so strongly. It's called the Everything Store: Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. And I'll just I'll play like a quick uh, little sample for you because it's a quantitative hedge fund. Desco, as its employees affectionately called it, was started in 1988 by David E. Shaw, a former Columbia University computer science professor. Along with the founders of other groundbreaking quant houses of that era, like Renaissance Technologies and Tudor Investment Corporation, Shaw pioneered the use of computers and sophisticated mathematical formulas to exploit anomalous patterns in global financial markets. When the price of a stock in Europe was fractionally higher than the price of the same stock in the United States, for example, the computer jockeys turned Wall Street warriors at Desco would write software to quickly execute trades and exploit the disparity. The broader financial community knew very little about D.E. Shaw, and its polymath founder wanted to keep it that way. So that uh, starts right there is the investment firm that is behind Amazon. So if you've heard before that Amazon runs at a loss and they always reinvest their profits – uh, that's because they're backed by this investment firm, and that's where the book starts. And that's I'm I'm about one and a half chapters in right now, two chapters maybe. I, I started to fall asleep because I'm old, uh, but it was actually really interesting. It gave me a lot of just in the in the first little. Oh, I must be a little bit farther in now. That I think about it, but it gave me a lot of really good insights into kind of how they work. And it's and you hear how how in some ways brilliant they were. They saw the internet. They saw that there's opportunity to disrupt established businesses like, uh, uh, you know, like the mom and pop and, and like the Walmarts of the world. And they, but they needed a niche to start in to sort of prove themselves and work the system out. So they started with books, but they'd always planned to go to everything. In fact, they still plan to just sell more things. Um, and so it's, it's been really interesting. Amazon is becoming such a player these days. Uh, they're really, they're really going after the iPad with their ads. They're really pushing the app, the Amazon App Store in the ads. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, so uh, we're going to be hearing a lot more about them. And this book just came out October 15th. And when I heard the Bezos family absolutely hated it, I thought, i got to go find fix, uh, you know, uh, look that up. <laughs> you know, because that's always interesting because, you know, there might be some good some good dirt in there. So uh, I'll have a link oh, to that in the show Bezos. notes. You can get the uh, print version as well, but uh, I've been listening to the audiobook version uh, which is an Amazon company, ironically. You know, I'll give Amazon that. If this was Apple, that book wouldn't even be in the stores. Yeah. They've pulled the books on Steve Jobs, right? And, you know, to, to Bezos' credit, uh, they they hate the book. His wife even gave it a bad review on, on Amazon.com, but they haven't pulled it from either Audible or Amazon. So that's that's something right there. All right, Mr. Dominic, anything else you want to cover before we wrap? Uh, that's it. Okay. Well, so join us next week, uh, Monday the 16th, uh, join us at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, and then just hang with us. We'll be doing two shows back-to-back. In the second show, you can uh, join us on the Mumble server. Where do you get the Mumble details? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, join us in the IRC chat room. There is a command in there that will give that will reveal all, as well as also our helpful chat participants, who also help name our show. So we'll need you next week because we'll need double naming duty. 
So uh, tune in for that. If you can't make it, you can still participate by sending us some great topics. You can email them to CodaRadio at JupiterBroadcasting.com or use the contact link or even better, take up uh, Mike's offer to start a thread in the subreddit. Please, somebody do that and uh, put some great questions in there that we can kick around with our mumble room. We'll create a roundtable of disgruntled internet coders. That should be pretty interesting. And that'll be uh, next week on the 16th. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, have yourself a great week, sir. You know, I often like to point folks to places where they can find you throughout the week. Where would you like to send folks this week? Nowhere. Nowhere. Maybe to the bar. Oh, oh. DominicM.com. Ah. My mic freaked out. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I just assumed you're getting another drink. That's all right. I don't uh-huh. mind. Uh-huh. Uh, don't forget, you can also find links to our social profiles in the show notes, uh, Twitter and the G pluses and the things like that. And oh, last chance, go to teespring.com slash Jupiter 2014. Next week, it'll be all wrapped up. This is the last week to get yourself a uh, Jupiter Broadcasting shirt, which also now has a hoodie and a ladies' tee for that significant lady in your life. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>